This week, we'll talk about product owners in data science. And we have a special guest today, Anna. Anna is a domain owner for data science at Metro Digital, where she drives adoption of data science and AI topics within the Metro business. And Metro is a large wholesaler. Previously, Anna led product teams in areas of recommender systems, robotics, and smart logistics. In this conversation, Anna will share her experience working as a product owner. So welcome, Anna. Hi, Alexey. And as you ask me, maybe to, to elaborate a little about it. So first of all, uh, Metro is a wholesaler. Sometimes you think it's very similar to retail in some aspects, yes, and some others not. The difference we have here is just our customer is B2B. It's not like just you and me come in there and buy something, but it's in many situations. So we expect hotels, restaurants, and cetera to be our customers. And you can, well, we are talking about data science, expect also changing the behavior of a customer. For example, it's very difficult to inspire them to buy, to try out new things. If you imagine a restaurant having like it's a pizzeria, it has these five types of a pizza. It will not start out of sudden, I don't know, to buy cherries. Mm-hmm. That is a really a special change. Cherries for example. on pizza. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> for the recommender systems, yes. And I'm so-called domain owner responsible for all data science projects and initiatives in at Metro in the area of data mm-hmm. science. And uh, so many times I tried to get into a Metro store because it's mm-hmm. usually cheaper, but the security wouldn't let me in because you're doing B2B, that uh, they always wanted a proof that I am a business owner. So I always needed to go with somebody who can have this proof. <laughs> Well, sometimes I actually, when I lived in Poland, I had uh, Macro, which is also Metro, right? Another name. So I managed to sneak in sometimes, like without any documents. That was adventurous times. (laughs) And that's a great point which you bring, considering we are talking to data community. You can think about it, you know, how all people try to get this personalized data. We have it directly. So we really know every transactions from the beginning of Metro existence is assigned to a customer. So we always know, I don't know, it has been Anna buying that, I don't know, five milks on that day and time. And uh, the picture is complete because many times, you know, how the other companies try to have all the loyalty programs with paybacks and you name it. Uh, for sure, they're doing it to collect data, but many times there is like a certain piece of uh, society who never applies for such programs. And you have just a subset. In our case, it's complete. And that is always what I try to sell as an advantage for everyone who applies for a job at uh, Metro saying like, look, you have directly data to start work with. That's cool. Like you can't do data science without data, right? So the main topic for today is product owners and data science. But before that, before discussing that, I wanted to ask about your career so far. So can you tell us about what you've been doing so far? What was your career journey? Yeah, sure. Uh, more than happy to share it. Uh, so I originally studied computer science. Uh, then in my PhD, I was focusing on, back then it was called data mining. Today we can call it data science was focusing of web science. So you represent the communities as a network and you try to analyze what makes uh, the networks more healthy or less healthy. And you apply different clustering and classifications algorithm uh, to it. 
and uh, as I said, try to say what drives the community to grow or to decline. And I was doing this research in the area of open source projects, which is pretty interesting to see why the one open source project evolves and evaluates and the others like just decline. Mm-hmm. I also happen to run a community, which yeah. is pretty relevant to what you're saying. So do you have still uh, some of your research in uh, open access? Like I assume my PhD should be accessible online because I guess the general regulation in Germany. Nevertheless, what I can tell you, like the key point is you observe this Pareto distribution very strongly. It's not 80-20. So an open source community is like 90 to 10. So it's like you have really the score of some like of a small size of a core developers who really like making the difference. And you have many people who just, I don't know, drop a message once, maybe submitted a bug report. So like those are like the long tail, like very, very long tail and very uh, dense uh, core. Because back then, for example, I was comparing three projects which were trying to do the same thing. It was BioPerl, BioJava, and BioPython. It is an extension of the corresponding languages, Python, Java, and Perl, in order to do some bioinformatic. And you would say the application is the same, the community people should be the same. And one of the findings was you have to have strong interlayer. So like it shouldn't be that steep. So like, you know, you have three people in the coins and just the long tail. You have to have those who are here and there more active. Because if you had just rely on your core and the three to five very central people, once one of them drops out, you have really a problem. If you have a strong interlayer, so something in the middle, there's a high chance that someone from this interlayer will jump on and like close this gap. And it's not only, you know, I was able to prove it with data, but I have to say all these communities were so open. I like reached out to them and was asking questions. They're like, look, that is what I see in the data. They really shared the stories. They really said, yeah, here we observed that and that person left the community and was really going down with progress and so on. And people got demotivated. So I got even not only quantitative, but also qualitative commitments to what I have found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anyone who is listening is interested in doing some of this kind of research and you want to get some data from Data Talks Club, uh, reach out, please. That would be quite interesting to try. I also heard about the rule, which is uh, called 99-1 rule. So you have 90, which are people who are silent, that nine are active, and then one is this core. I think this is very similar to what you mentioned. Yeah, sounds too. But coming back to my biography, so like, yes, I finished the PhD in this area, but I was always kind of interested in structuring things, organizing things. And that is why I first uh, went to Zalando, where I have been responsible for uh, smart logistics, so automation of the warehouses. So the warehouse is a warehouse, not the data warehouse, but the physical one, where you store the items on shelves. Then you do the picking, packing, and then it's transported, I assume, to the people who are listening to us. Yeah, so, for example, one of the tasks was the picking process is very time-consuming and also workforce-consuming one. And there was a machine constructed to automate the process, and I was responsible for integration of this automated machine in the processes because it's like you still have workforce which is running doing some manual picking plus this automatic machines also two flows which like go apart and you have to bring them together at the packing station because now you have to bring everything together 
And at the same time point, also Zalando have signed the contract for AWS. So we were doing like, someone said, hmm, we, are, we need to develop anyways a new piece of software for the warehouse, for this automatic machine. Let's go directly for microservices on AWS. So I had like this two heads, like to streamline the process with the task force team to transition to AWS microservices and to integrate this machine. And that was a very like, an important, I guess, experience for my life because it was very execution driven. It's literally, if you're working very close to the separation, you can imagine that behind every delay, someone can put a number of money, which you are losing. It's, for example, if machine is not working, you can put a number of dollars behind or euros behind every package, which is not sent out on time. And I learned to work under very high pressure and don't get me wrong. So like, I do not complain. I really enjoyed it. But it's like, just to give you a number, in the warehouse where I have been working at that time, we were having up to 2,000 workers. Maybe not everyone rely on machine, but if you even say it's thousands of workers who are not able to work because the system is down, you just know how much you pay to every of them every minute. And because we are, you know, we are Germany, like no one will send you home and say, you have nothing to do. We are not paying you. The people are still there and sitting and just, I don't know, playing around. And uh, there was like really management of this warehouse coming to me and saying like, yet another minute, yet another minute. There's like, what does it mean in terms of uh, customer satisfaction and also money we are losing? And then from there, I moved to Metro where I was product manager for recommender systems. And I guess that is, very strongly formed what I am and how we managed to really to go from this POC situation you're facing a lot in data science to really having it as a product. Because I came from this very strong driven, deliver, deploy every day. Uh, there is so much dependency. And now I come to the area of data science, which feels like research. <laughs> and I really like came and said, no, 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 we try to take the best things we know from computer science and somehow to put it together with the things we need to do in data science. And I really do believe that we are successful. And I really do believe that we have to use product management approaches for developing successful data science products, which are then in production. So you studied uh, computer science, you studied this uh, data mining and web science. Do you think it helped you with what you're doing right now? Uh, yes, I do think so. I still think that even in management position in data and tech, you need to have people with data tech background because I really do think that it uh, matters a lot for my direct that I can understand the language they speak and I can also understand why, for example, research here and there is still important. And yeah, it's also gives a certain respect, but it's also I'm then able to go and advocate for their needs. Yeah, it's not just for me a blah, blah, I do not understand. It's like, okay, I got your point. Then I go back to the stakeholders and say, look, I don't know, people would need more time or the data is not sufficient or there is like limitation of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Do you think product owners and product managers, we will actually talk what it means, but I'm wondering, like, do you think they yeah. should have technical background? or it's a nice to have thing? I guess it depends. I also know some product owners who do not have technical background who are really great people. So I guess soft skills 
uh, very important. Also, this customer understanding, really this customer obsession uh, really makes sense and makes difference. However, it still, I guess, depends because, you know, there are, for example, very technical products. One of example would be at Metro, if you get out of data science, we have cloud foundation. So it's a product about giving you a piece of cloud infrastructure. I guess you have to be very technical product managers there, otherwise you do not understand what, what it's all about. And you can then also not be that passionate about it. Yeah? If we are more talking about really customer-customer-facing things, like end-customer-facing, yeah, and then you really can connect yourself with the end-end customer and say, I'm passionate about this product because I am this active user of this app. So yeah, maybe it's not that sufficient. Mm -hmm. So what do product owners actually do? So who are they? Yeah, I mean, first of all, maybe if the question is the difference between product owners and product managers. Yeah, who are product owners? It's also interesting to see the comparison because you mentioned that you joined mm -hmm. Metro as a product manager, but I think your title is product owner, right? My title is today domain owner. So now I'm like even mm -hmm. the, the stage up, but no, the, back then it was product owner. But uh, again, we have readjustments to product managers. And I guess in Salon, it was the other way around. So mm -hmm. I see there's like not a clear, at least maybe someone can write it to us in the chat. But I have experienced it a lot in enough companies where like you really don't know what's the difference. And like mm -hmm. today it's product managers and there's some restructuring and it's product owner. But for me, it's because I sometimes ask my friends, okay, coach me, what, what do I need to do to be a product manager? So that is my personal definition. I guess the most important thing is to be able to take decisions. Yeah? And that's what I learned not only like for sure the stressful situation with a warehouse where it's about like, are we now sending the next thousand of items out or not? It's a really like a very strong decision you have to take. But even data science, it's like every time a decision, yeah. So your data scientists will come and say, hmm, the model is that good, but maybe if you give us two more weeks, we can try to improve it a lot. And for example, being brave enough to say, I believe it's now good enough. I'm clearly communicating the quality towards stakeholders, but now is the time to go live. This ability to be brave to make decisions, that is really something very needed for being a good product owner, product manager. Then, uh, yeah, being patient about what you're doing. I uh, really love it because what I see for me as a product owner is someone who sits between stakeholders and uh, the developers or data scientists. So it's on one hand side, a translator from requirements to the team, but it's also an advocate and a shield for the people. Yeah, So it's someone who really protects the team in the sense the expectations are not right. Or, you know, how, how often I have these discussions like, how about you take one person and it's ready tomorrow? <laughs> That is also product manager who sits in between says, no, we need this and that because the process requires, if you are talking, a very good example, data science. Yeah, people like, take one FT and solve the problem. And like, what is FT? FT, uh, so one person. No? Okay. Then I am the one who goes and uh, negotiates and say like, you need someone who will you know, orchestrate the whole machine learning flow. You need one data scientist, you need some DevOps or maybe data engineer. And it's not right that you just say, 
here. Like you take it from there and like you data scientists do it now. So to summarize, being able to make decision and risk, to protect your team, to be a good interpreter from stakeholders to your team and from team back to the stakeholders. And the last but not least, being really passionate about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So what you described right now is product owner, product manager, or both? Uh, yeah, for me, it's like product owner. So product owner, <laughs> like, uh, I guess people put into product manager more execution. Product owner seem like, you know, you are CEO of your product. So I tend more to be like on the product owner side. By execution, you mean... Because product uh, manager, I guess, is the one who more managing, like, you know, streamlining the process, taking less ownership. So that is where I see the difference. Mm -hmm. So this is what you mean by execution, right? So managing the process, like uh, making sure the team is working fine, uh, yeah. all these rituals, like the scrum sprints, like estimating, all that things are done by product managers usually, or how does it work? I mean, you still have agile coaches or scrum coaches or whatsoever they, they call today to, to follow up on rituals. But I guess it's a nutshell. And as I said, there's not always that much of a difference it depends on your who you ask, but in my eyes, product owner is like really this CEO of a product and managers like maybe has less power and maybe has to listen more to the tech lead and uh, the teams. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'm more than happy to hear what the, the audience thinks. I'm just curious. I did work with product owners. So in some companies, they have just product owners. Some companies have just product managers. So in the company where I work right now, where Elix, we only have product managers. We don't have mm. product owners. And uh, I'm just wondering, so in this case, if there is no product officially product owner in the team, then the product manager wears this hat, right? So they make this, yeah, uh, correct. Uh, the decisions you said, okay, we need to ship it now, right? Or we need to wait for two more weeks. And then there is also, you mentioned that product managers work together with tech leads, right? Yeah, correct, correct. So they both can be owners at the end. Owners, yeah, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is then in your company, Alexei, is the next, like, to whom product managers to report? Head of product. Head of product. Okay, in our case, it's like domain owners then. But mm -hmm. again, that's just a naming, but... Uh... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, in the chat, I see that FTE stands for full-time equivalent or full-time employee. Yeah, full-time <laughs> employee, yeah, yeah. So that's that's normally like this ideal, you know, at the discussions I have a lot, like, can we have budget for one person, but this one person can cover three use cases from data science, and then yeah. it's part of the task also of product owner to say, no, it's not doable, and explain why. Mm -hmm. So I think you described more or less what you did so you said that you were taking care of recommender systems, right? Mm -hmm. At Metro Digital. So what did you do there as a product owner? How did you exactly take care of uh, recommender systems? So when I joined Metro, there were like one and a half people more or less. And it was more, yeah, as I already like placed to the kind of yeah, research environment. I mean, we were getting requests here and there from a dedicated country, which like now runs or oh, like, plan to, to have a campaign in the next month and they try to say okay those are products we would love to put under a special offer to whom should we send it out in newsletter and that was pretty manual because it was like really 
you get this list of products. I mean, it still maybe was somewhere in a database, but it was like still many, like here's a product. So there are here's a target groups we would love to face. There was a collaborative filtering in between, but it was like really, uh, there was a request, manual processing or results generated and again, shared, written somewhere in database. And when I came, I said, okay, it doesn't scale. <laughs> so with this, first of all, I mean, how many people should we hire? And uh, back then we were operating in 25 countries and meanwhile we are in 23. But you as a wise, like this over uh, highly paid data scientists spending half of their time actually exchanging the emails back and forth, which group should be picked and, I don't know, just clicking on a button, waiting uh, till, till this will calculate. And I went there and said like, no, 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 I want to have a use case where we clearly serve it via API and we do here real software development as I was used from Zalando. So we, first of all, introduced a whole agile setup with stand-ups, with uh, sprints, like two-week sprints. We tried to really set as a goals for two weeks. So it's in terms of processes, which uh, changed it a lot, but also in terms of our target group. To be honest, we still support this use case of newsletter, but we automated it a lot. And there was like dedicated support to people who are just doing nothing but this execution. But I said clearly, okay, where are the use case where we can use the endpoint? And that is for sure our online shop. You go to online shop, you're looking at, for example, banana, and then there's a underneath a frequently bought together. So people who were buying banana were also interesting in that and that. And I said, that's great. Yeah, we just provide them an endpoint and they integrate in it. And back then, I guess M Shop was like M Shop is Metro Shop, Metro Online Shop, uh, was present like in 10 countries. And then they went up to 12 and then they went up to 18. And for us, it was not because we trained our model already for all 25 countries. So it's like every country they took live, we were already live there. How great is it? Yeah, so that is really scaling. And then there was uh, just created one, one ML flow. There was a API. We were able like to set a data doc upon on it to see how reliable it is. And we also didn't took care of anything like our endpoint just says, okay, given a product and a customer who are looking at, what are the best six frequently put together will be? So we just submit the results in form of IDs. And that is the rest is like responsibility of a customer facing solution. So grab the right pictures, the right description, the right price. And that is also great because then you as a data science team, you really focus on the core task. You are not trying to see, okay, I don't know, do I have a description of whatsoever? So can, can the results be complete? Yeah, because many times if you just do the manual process, your consuming party starts, yeah, but can you also search for the pictures or submit the results with the pictures or whatsoever? So this one was like, one of the things we also took a clear step. Um, then we extended our portfolio. We went to alternative recommender. That is the one if you're looking to a um, product and it's not available because we don't want our customer to be disappointed. And uh, Alexei, you said in the beginning, you have been to Metro, you know, it has a huge assortment. So normally yeah. if you don't have this dedicated milk, there's like at least 50 other milk types, which will be having the same percentage of fat, the same size, everything. And it really makes sense just to, to propose a reasonable alternative 
and that's to do it in personal manner. Yeah, so that is another one. So once it's something out of stock, it says we have the following alternatives for you. And last but not least was as a recommender, which again, where we started, you know, I told you like, okay, given the special offers to whom it's relevant. And I was like the whole time thinking, okay, but I, I can do more of it. I can do more of it. Like, okay, newsletters is a manual process, but where can we have it more automatic one? And it's our app. We have M Companion is an app of Metro. And you go, there's like several tabs and one tab is special offer. And in the past, it was like just all products are under offer. They were listed there. So it can be, for example, you have a vegan restaurant, so not selling any meat stuff, but because we have meat now, you know, on special offer, you were getting meat on the top. And I guess many customers got also kind of pissed, like, why are you offering it to me? I'm, it's not relevant. And uh, here we applied it like, we uh, take every time the offers are updated, we take the offers and we uh, train our model to whom like 200 top recommenders rank in the order of relevance per customer. And when you go to this app and click on offers, your list will be different from me. And again, it's like M Companion rolls out to a new country. Here we are. It's an endpoint. It's uh, directly served. We can update it. We are independent. We can run an A-B test without creating any problems. And that is the approach I would recommend everyone to do. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned three use cases. First is a newsletter. So all the clients of Metro receive newsletters with uh, personalized recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I think you, you said it's like you segment first and then each segment gets the same newsletter, right? More or less. No, no, no. It's really personalized. It's really customer to product. Okay, okay. So you, you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why not? I mean, you can really. Okay. So then you have that. Then oh, you have online shop. There you have a recommender system. And then finally in the app, right? So three places. Yeah, but actually, like I would count it as four because alternative recommender and uh, frequently bought together, they are really two different uh -huh. recommenders. Right. It's also like the one is cross-sell. I try to encourage you to sell more. So really saying like, I don't know, you're looking at banana, buy also an apple. Mm -hmm. Alternative is just you're looking at banana. This banana is not available. Take another banana. Okay. And uh, I'm just curious. So you said when you joined Metro, there were one and a half people. And then you said that you need software engineers. You need uh, agile process. So who was on the team and who did you need to hire? Yeah, it's a very great learning. I also always love to share. So I started also so wrongly. So our very first position description, we were looking for people with PhD in mathematics and, and statistics. And I still do believe you need those. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But the question is about amount. And it depends on the like how far you're in the process. Sometimes you're still in POC and trying out things, but once you're like pretty ready with the uh, model and you're just improving it, it's enough to have one data scientist per use case maybe. But we are pretty quickly <laughs> recognize that if you want really to do this productionized software, yeah, something which runs into production, if, as I said, like 24-7, where we have the whole infrastructure, the data doc, the... I don't know, ML flow and so on and so on, that we need a real engineers, or today they're called machine learning engineers and sometimes ML ops. Depends a little. I would really say from today's perspective, I have you need 
post rolls and they're a little different because ML flow is really like how do you structure the flow like uh, here to some ATL, bring it there, retrain, risco and so on. And the ML ops, it's like being able to create this ideal infrastructure for machine learning projects. And sometimes I get asked and like, okay, what is the ratio? Again, depending on how far you're in the process, at the beginning, you can start like one-to-one. So one ML engineer, one MLOps. Yeah, and data one scientist. data scientist. Okay. Yeah, so that should be your basis. But once you're going more and more into production, and as I said, there are like maybe just some improvements of your model, but it's also all about like being stable and running, uh, then it can be up to three engineers for one data scientist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's say you don't have money for three people. Who will you hire first? <sighs> Again, depends uh, where I'm staying. I mean, if it's really completely new use case, I will be maybe a data scientist or so. Ideally, I would go for a generalist. So again, if someone listening now to like us. Full stack, right? Yeah, full Like if you really want to be a kind of the person everyone wants to have, tries to involve yourself to the generalist role. So someone at least who can set up some basic infrastructure, create some ML flow plus interested and understands data science. Yeah, that is where I would start. What I also do, I mean, I can be also very honest also with our audience because I guess it's not a secret for some initiative where I don't know if I should hire someone long term, I would also reach out to some external support because because external support, you can reduce and increase pretty dynamically. And once I know, okay, that is something I would love to go for, the the business it's really like short. It's not I say is and maybe let me take it back. So if you really see that it improves the business and there is a potential, then we go to hire people. Uh, there is another approach we also use and maybe also a recommendation towards our audience. I found that many people, and today I have already twenty two directs, so they're always willing to learn something new. And you can also ask around just in existing resources if they would love to have, I don't know, 20% commitment or maybe even 50% commitment for the next three months to run in POC because it's just a great thing to give back to your people, like just to say like, look, that is another use case. I mean, that is also what they put on their CV. Yeah? They say, I was, I don't know, creating machine learning model for recommenders and Markdown. So that's what we have done. So maybe... <laughs> Someone who participated in both listening now, I know who I mentioned. And I got like really great feedback. People like, oh, I learned completely new piece of data, new business partner, and so on, so on. And then after you have done it in this setup, you then can say, okay, that is the people I need. And you decide whether you hire or you relocate. And uh, there is a question from Valeria. What kind of recommender systems or probably algorithms did you use? Was it collaborative filtering or was it different for each of the use cases you had? Yeah, it's it's different for each of use cases. Collaborative filtering we're using for scoring already. I mean, let me get here clear. I'm already like since one and a half years, I'm in this domain owner position, not working that close. And maybe it's uh, my information won't be up to date, but we also use uh, modification of what to vec, also to find the combination from people being able to score the relevance of products to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this word to back is for things that are frequently bought together, like yes, apples and uh, bananas. 
there is a special modification. Like normally you would expect like this tries to use a semantic, but that's also like learn semantic out of your transactional data. Mm -hmm. Did you actually need to go to get into technical details of all that as a product owner? Like, did you need to know that, okay, this is this specific word to back modification? Or was it something that you just wanted to learn because of your background? You should understand the basic and you should be able to challenge it with the right questions. So, for example, what we have done and I uh, kind of experiment list at a certain time of time point, you know how like people who has done and maybe even PhD in mathematics or statistics or computer science, they got used to reading some scientific papers and there are great scientific papers outside. And here and there, there was always a situation of someone coming and saying like, you know, over the weekend I was reading this paper and I think it's a great idea. Let's try it out. I really wanted to show that I value this ambition and this time invest, but I also didn't want us to jump on every new paper and like, let's implement it. So one of the link was we created some time point, a table, just a basic table in Confluence, where we were collecting all this idea. So you really like place the link to the paper, you write a short summary, but was an important thing was that there was like two columns, one column asking like, what it is good for? Is it good for making calculation quicker or is it good for improving the quality? Yeah, so improving the accuracy. And coming back to your question, so that is very important that you understand that you can ask these questions, yeah? So, and challenge people. And it's give sometimes really feedback to, to the people that they recognize, no, oh, you're right. It's only for, I don't know, they'll speed up the process. And you say, okay, we train today model every once a week. Do we need to, like, will it make difference that today it runs for two hours and then it will run for one hour and a half? Will it, like, influence the business? And then people like, okay, you're right. It will not. So I don't think that I have to understand any product on a product manager. I have to understand it's very detailed, but you have to understand data science principles and what it is about. What does it mean like a metric? What does it mean a quality? What does it mean any other type of improvement? Okay. And now you work as a data science domain owner. So how is it different from a product owner? So I, I think you answered that question right so you are now a manager of product owners yeah no 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 wait because it's a difference it's not like a head of product it's a head of data science people so the people who are holding a role of data scientists or data analysts they do report to me but they are then part of a product team and product people do report into head of product okay so it's like head of Data science in our case, Engineering, I guess. yes. Head of okay. data science with an engineering organization. Yeah. And the idea is like that I at least a kind of sitting there in the middle so I can ensure that we are not doing the same thing like five times because it's like somehow streamlined over my hand. I also play an umbrella, bring in, you know, data scientists from this team together with data science from this team and say like, Look, it seems that you're doing the similar stuff. Maybe you should exchange or maybe just support each other. And I can then enable what I just described, this rotation. Yeah. So to say, like, Alexis, we have a new initiative in, I don't know, in Markdown. Do we want to try it out? Interesting. But uh, you said you manage 25 people? Two. 
22. But are they your direct reports? Yes. So you actually need to do like performance review, all these appraisals, everything that in addition to, you know, knowing all these uh, domains. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's also especially like, because a certain amount of understanding is still required. Like people do expect me to be able like, yeah, data science expert, tell us. <laughs> and we have eight big cases, like big data science cases, and they are really a broad range. So even I have a great focus on recommenders there, I can also go in detail because it's like where originally coming from. But as I said, we have this markdown initiative. So what is the optimal discount given that expiration date of this product? Or we also even giving credits. I don't know if you know it, but in Metro is a big customer. You can get a loan, like you get it in a bank. And for this, we do a credit scoring. It's completely new, like another, you know, area. And we also try to do some dynamic pricing and we do assortment optimization. And uh, yeah, it's uh, challenging to be everywhere up to date. But as I said, I try hard. Plus, I assume I know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So what does markdown mean? Because in my world, so for me, markdown is uh, what I use in GitHub when I create a document. <laughs> so for me, this is a markup format. But I don't think you talk about that, no, right? So no, what no. is Markdown? It's actually a great use case. And you know how the whole world today talking about sustainability and waste reduction. So it goes into this direction. So what you try to say uh, to do or what your mod model is doing, you know how many products are left with a certain BBD. BBD is best before day. So for example, you have hundreds of yogurts left of this type and they're expiring in three days. So you uh, would then, the system tries to calculate what is the optimal discount we should give so that we will be able to sell out all hundreds of yogurts without losing too much of money. So what is happening, I can even explain you the concept of a model. So you're more or less based on like on elasticity, you know, like price versus how people are willing to buy it you say how much I predict to sell is the price that level. And you go through all the created prices and you take the minimum discount, which brings you to in series selling everything out. Mm -hmm. And there's like three touches underneath. You for sure want to reduce waste. Yeah. I mean, in some countries, we even like, it's not only like we put the food to the donation, but we still pay money on top. Yeah, so it's like really penalty you have to pay. So we reduce the waste. Why, why just throw things away? The second thing is to increase our revenue. I mean, if we manage, you know, if you just maybe start three days in advance to do a discount and you manage to sell everything, you maybe almost lost nothing. And last but not least, also streamlining the process. And that is also very interesting, what I would love to share with the community. Sometimes it's about... The automation which data science brings, brings a clear process because the feedback we got about Markdown in the beginning was not about the numbers. It's about the automatic process. Now it's a system. So there's an app with which it's called M-Store for Metro in the store. And the, customer, the employee runs with it and it tells you now, okay, now you have to discount this yogurt by 20%. And then the employee is just doing it. Before it was 
employee had to follow some guidelines. These guidelines were somewhere. So every time you had a new employee, you have to onboard him or her. And it was also very, depending on the store, also fraud. Fraud in the sense, hey, Alexei, you are my friend. You just come. I put a 50% stickers on this yogurt and you take them. Huh? And that is also like what was like taken out. It's just there's a clear process and clear guideline and the person don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Was it you or your teams who needed to think about this process? Or did you have help from the actual operations, like people who run in the in the stores? Or how did it look like? It is a business who came with proposal. Mm -hmm. So in my eyes, that is actually, I mean, it's a great if you have, you're so visionary and you have great ideas, but I truly believe that it's business operations or your customer who knows where the problem are or what, where the problems are, what they want to solve. And that is where we should start. I always say like, it's a dependent data analytics, the data science. I go to business and tell us what is your problem. Tell us what you would love to have improved. And that is where you have to start solving. But sometimes it can be also challenges. Okay, I wanted to ask you, what does it actually mean to be responsible for a domain? Because you have six domains, right? So I think this is according to your LinkedIn. So these yeah. domains, I think you've talked about all of them or most of them, recommendation systems, churn, markdown, fulfillment, royalty mm -hmm. pricing. You also mentioned this new initiative, which is credit scoring, which is a uh, seventh yes. one, right? Yeah. And then it's just one person who needs to oversee all of that, which is you. So well, what does it mean to be responsible for a domain? And how do you <laughs> even manage to, yeah. you know, look after so many things? I mean, this data products, they're still parts of a product team. So for example, you can see, let, let us stay with Markdown, where there's three teams responsible for this M store, this application, what I described, because uh, the employees are using it, I don't know, to receive new goods, to, to report some damages and so on. And this is just a normal, like three product teams with developers who are like developing front end, back end and so on. And Markdown, they, it's just yet another service. Yeah. So that means I have at the moment uh, two people and some external support are responsible for this piece, but they are part. So they have a product manager who streamlines it and pushes it forward there locally. So it's not that I have to oversee it on daily basis, but I still need to understand because like it goes hand in hand with people management. So if people like my directs will maybe give some feedback, complain, or I don't know, would love to raise some proposals. They sometimes want me to be pulled in. Sometimes I also happy to challenge something based on my experience. For example, if they say, ah, oh, we would love now to improve this and that. Yeah. So I will be pulled in. And also, if there's a proposal to try something completely new, again, it's me being there. But I don't need to oversee the process on the like this dailies, retros, and so on. That's happening in this dedicated product team. The same for recommender, yeah? So they have their own product owner, the same for the churn and CRM. They have product owner, agile coach, and they go, but I'm the one who can re-rotate people, who oversees it in rough detail, who is called if there's like need to be a justification. Mm -hmm. Do you also manage budgets? Uh, yes. Okay. 
because here yeah, you you set this FTE, like you probably operate in these terms. Like okay, for this project we have I don't know two and a half FTEs, for this project just one and a half. Right? Yeah, that's what you do. Okay, so when I was preparing questions, it was just seven domain, uh, six domains. Now mm -hmm. you also mentioned this new one. How does it happen that you get a new, entirely new domain? What's the process? So you mean entirely new use case? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as I said, many, many ways. Sometimes it's really like business will come and say we would need, uh, we have a great idea. Yeah. And that's really where I have to be active. First of all, to justify, is it just, is the idea really a big enough? Because I will be honest, I have seen situations where like, like ah, AI, we have some text issues in our data, can we use to correct it? And they're like, okay, uh, what are we talking about? Yeah, some broken entries. And like, how many entries we are talking about? And like, it was 200. And like, you're not doing any text AI for 200 entries. Hire yourself a student to work for two hours and let him or her correct it manually and you're done. So this kind of conversation I'm driving. So that is the one that can be that I push back to the business. Uh, nevertheless, there, was, there are great ideas. For example, assortment was this situation. So there was like a business side coming saying like, ah, we have great ideas. We need to reduce assortment. So that is part of our big journey of a metro. We would love to optimize assortment, maybe not to reduce, to optimize, really to see what is driving our customer into the store. And it's a great uh, data science uh, task. And I was very, very inspired. Nevertheless, I said, it's great, but bring me the money for people. No, mm -hmm. because sometimes it's also stops there. So you say, oh, bring me the money for people. And then I hire you the best talent. I ensure we have a right setup, but we need to hire new people. Do not expect me to, like that doesn't sound like 20% on top project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then for example, if that is happening, then you can start uh, running. And as I said, so in, in nutshell, I always prefer if the idea coming from business. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, interesting. So you mentioned that uh, I really love this, that uh, you can just hire somebody to do this because it's just 200 rows, right? And somebody mm. can just go through this. And I think this is what I, as a data scientist, I have problems with. Because for me, everything like machine learning is a hammer and I want to use it for every nail, right? But then sometimes manual work, it's boring, but it gets the job done. And then, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, sometimes maybe let, let add here something. Sometimes I would agree to do some manual effort, but manual not in the sense that correcting 200 lines, it will be 200 entries, it will never get to go. But if sometimes people will come and say, I would love you to optimize assortment. I'm not sure that if you're able to do it, like you as a data science, not me personally, uh, then I'm okay to say we do something in more like at the level of Jupyter Notebook, and then the results are just here in CSV, and we uh, let the respond, corresponding category manager to check the results. So it's completely not the way I want to have it. So normally I'm taught need CSV, Excel, whatever, but to get a foot in a door, I would sometimes agree to do this kind of a small proof of our abilities that we get this buy-in, but really with clear communication, it is not the process. Yeah, we just can share with user results and use and check. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. And I see a question from Jamie. By the way, do you know what is the project product portfolio management principles? I know that some companies like SAP, so I have a friend, he's a portfolio manager in SAP, but we don't have things like that. Mm -hmm. Because the question is uh, whether you use this for determining products which should have, the, which you should have, and mm -hmm. how much resources to put there, if I, if I understand the question correctly. Yeah, I guess the portfolio, I mean, you would now say, okay, the eight use cases I named, the sources, my portfolio, and you somehow decide. I have created something like that. It's just a list of questions. I always share someone approaching me with the idea. So obviously I have some other structure there. But as I said, from there on, it's more over time developed process. It is like take this commitment from some internals with this 20% overtime, see if you bring in maybe some externals and then see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing uh, I'm really curious is that I know that you are one of the co-organizers of Product Tank in Dusseldorf. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what is this? What is this thing? What is Product Tank? Uh, Product Tank, like there is a very big community called Minds a Product that's uh, originated from London and initiated of the whole Minds a Product community that's grew product management. And you can get a co-organizer of product tank in your city. So you officially then belong to this kind of cooperation or like your franchising under their name. And uh, that is a meetup. You try to run regularly about the product topics. And we have, for example, one on Thursday in a week, so on 27th. And yeah, we, we try to bring like product folks, but also like everyone else talking about how to create great products. For example, next time we will be talking about hypothesis-driven development, uh, via testing and automation, yeah. That's off an offline meetup, right? It is offline. <laughs> so next one, it will be offline again. For two years, we were doing, it's like trying to do it remotely. I guess the first two remote one were real success. We even managed to get some product owners. I don't know, there was one lady connecting from New York and giving a talk and we were so kind of motivated. Oh, now you can have uh, speakers from all over the world. But I have to admit, after two first sessions, we were so like kind of, I had the feeling everyone was tired. Yet now again, you're already in your meetings the whole day online for eight hours. And then you have to sit down and listen again to yet another speaker. And yeah, we were not doing much last year, but this year it's again a live event. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now what we are doing now is contributing to this, you know, <laughs> after eight hours of meetings, now you sit down and listen to us. But maybe it's not a bad thing at the end. Right? And uh, if it's evening for you, end of working day, yeah. Problem. Not a bad way to finish your Friday. Yeah, it's for sure. I guess the difference is like here, people are like maybe willing to watch and like educate themselves and see their opinion. A big part of product and community was the community, this new networking, this beer together, this food mm -hmm. together. And that is a piece which then, yeah, kind of got lost. And mm -hmm. uh, that is also, I guess, what people are looking forward to. So another thing, so right now, there was a suggestion from one of our listeners, Johanna, and she suggested that we should ask every guest 
for some resource recommendations. And I was wondering if there is any book or other resource that you can recommend to our listeners. Considering we start with this product management and data science, I really recommend one book. It's called Data Science for Business. And I really recommend it. If you're already a very advanced data scientist, it's not the, uh, the book you should read. But if you're more an experienced product manager who would be willing to be a product manager or product owner of data product, you should go for it. So it's called a Data Science for Business and it's by Foster Provost and uh, Tom Fawcett. But I guess if you go like I googled for Data Science for Business, it's the first thing you get. And it's also what you need to know about data mining and data analytics thinking. It really gives you a very good overview of the topic, what it is about. It starts very basic, it explains what predictions, and it's very entertaining, very easy to read. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I think it's not the first time I hear about this book. So, But you said it won't be very interesting for people who already know data science or data scientists. Business people transitioning into like towards the data science, not the other way around. But I mean, I don't know, like maybe someone who is in data science and want to understand it, like how is the business things, it's will also help you to see, okay, is that is a perspective, how it explained to them. So that is maybe the way I should talk to business people. That might be also helpful. But what I like about it, it's easy written. You're like not getting asleep after two pages. Okay, that's a good quality for a book, right? Yeah. Not a textbook. Okay, yeah, that's uh, all we have time for. So thanks a lot, Anna, for coming, joining us, sharing your experience with us. Thanks, everyone, uh, that there is a lively, very lively discussion in live chat. So thanks for joining and doing this discussion. And yeah, that was fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me and have a nice weekend. Yeah, have a great weekend, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye.